This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's very exciting to be here finally, um, to be starting, uh, starting with a bit of a bang um, this morning. And um, thank you so much uh, to John and the elders uh, for that lovely welcome and commissioning um, and for praying for us. Um, yeah, it's kind of exciting and honoring and daunting all at once. Um, so, uh, I, have, I have been praying this week. I've been praying about uh, what I should be sharing with you this morning um, and praying for God to give me a word for you. Um, something that's uh, right for you and also for me. Um, often when I'm preparing a sermon, um, I find myself preaching to myself first. Um, so this is preached to me already um, and now I get to share it with all of you. Um, it is on the screen there. It's this prayer, uh, this little one-sentence prayer tucked away right at the end of the book of Romans, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. Uh, and he prays for them, and this is my prayer for you, for us this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope. Hope is going to be our, our key word. I'm going to see how many times I can say the word hope uh, in the next 25 minutes. Hope, if for those of you who don't know what that word is, never heard it before, hope is about the future, isn't it? It's about uh, what you think is going to happen to you next or down the track. Uh, sometimes when we, we, we kind of feel hopeless, we lack hope, uh, and that's because the future seems bleak or, or just uncertain. But we have a God, according to Romans 15, 13, a God who is the God of hope. All right, so we're going to properly define this word hope. Um, if you're a Greek nerd, the Greek word is elpis. Uh, you don't need to remember that. But it's good to know that this word, elpis, is actually different slightly to our English word hope. And so when you're reading the Bible and, and your English translation uses this word hope, it's kind of good to know that it doesn't quite mean what you might think it might mean. Let me give you an example. Um, a little while ago, I applied for a job. I don't know if you've heard. Um, I, I thought this might be a good role for me, uh, so I'll put in an application. And I said to myself, I hope I get this job. And as the process went along and I went through a number of different interviews and things, uh, I kept saying, oh, now I really hope I get this job. And what I meant by that wasn't that I was certain that I would get the job, was it? It's the opposite. I was saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what I want to happen. I have this uncertainty, 
and I'm kind of leaning into what I want to happen. Uh, we might use a word like wish to mean pretty much exactly the same thing. But this word elpis in the Bible is different. Elpis is actually a word that carries a kind of certainty factor kind of written into it that we miss with the English word hope because we think of it as an uncertainty word. Um, Elpis can be translated with other words like expectation or trust or confidence or guarantee. doesn't really sound like hope, does it? There's something a little bit different. Um, A little trick you could use is every time you see the word hope in the Bible, you could insert the word certain and call it certain hope. That might help. Um, Or you could just insert these kind of ideas, just have them floating in the back of your mind, that when when the authors of the Bible use the word hope, they mean this kind of expectation that this will happen, that it has been guaranteed, that we are confident. Uh, let me give you yet another example. Um, at Christmas time, you might say, oh, I hope I get a bike for Christmas. But the Bible would say, I hope to unwrap these presents in the morning. Which sounds kind of funny to us, doesn't it? We don't usually use the word hope like that. Of course you're going to unwrap the presents. They've written, they've got your name on them. They're sitting under the tree. They're all ready to go for Christmas morning. You could say, I expect to open these gifts, or I trust I will unwrap these gifts, or I am confident that I will unwrap these gifts. Uh, All of that sounds a bit clunky. Maybe something like, I am looking forward to unwrapping these gifts in the morning which means that when we see the word hope in the Bible, we can say, I'm looking forward to God's certain promised future. That's good news, isn't it? What it all boils down to is this. God is in control. And the more that you know that, the more that you believe that and hold on to that, the more hope you will have. If you believe that God is trustworthy, if you believe in the promises that God has made to all of us, then you can have a strong hope, a certain hope. Like this Christmas tree. God has wrapped up presents for you. God has promises for you. Over here, this one is complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done and ever will do wrong. Over there, that one's eternal life. I want to unwrap that one. That sounds good. Uh, This one here is peace. Over here, there's three little ones. No more suffering. No more pain. No more death. Those are God's promises. And our hope is saying, I hope to unwrap these gifts in the morning. They're wrapped, they're ready, they've got little tags on them with your name on it, ready to go. 
God's character, God's goodness guarantees our hope. His goodness secures our path to certainty. Your hope will grow stronger the more you know who He is, the more you know God's heart and His goodness. That's why in this prayer that we're looking at this morning, we've still only done one verse, haven't we? Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Do you get that? It's making more sense now. That, that heart of God that you can trust, that character of God, His trustworthiness, His goodness, makes your hope stronger, and as your hope gets stronger and more certain, you are filled with joy and peace. This is the, the well of hope that you can call on, that you can draw on. Hope is like, like a bucket of water that you can carry around with you, and whenever you're getting thirsty, whenever you're feeling parched and dry, you can go back to the promises of God and to the certain hope that you have and drink of that and know it's going to be okay. Uh, let me give you an example from my life. Uh, some years ago, back in 2010, I was feeling thirsty. I was feeling dry. I was feeling kind of lost and hopeless. Uh, the reasons for that were a multitude. You know, sometimes life kind of piles things up on you. Um, I'd, I'd just broken up with a girl I'd been seeing for a while, and this long-term relationship ended, and I was feeling kind of lonely. Um, I'd, I'd given up on a, a vague ambition that I had to be an actor on the stage, uh, and, and I'd pivoted and changed careers, um, which lots of people do. Um, and I decided I wanted to be an ESL teacher, to teach English as a second language to people from all around the world, and I got a job for about six weeks, and then I was made redundant. And so I'm, I, I was unemployed for months, and I was just kind of, all these things have become dead ends in my life. I don't know, maybe you've had a time like that in your life. Maybe you're experiencing a time like that right now. I don't know you guys yet. I'm looking forward to meeting you all and trying to learn all your names. There's a certainty that there are people here in this room this morning, people watching online, who are going, yeah, that's me. That's my life right now. Maybe we're all kind of experiencing that. We've had these two years of collective anxiety about COVID and with uncertainty about our future. We need hope, don't we? And these Romans receiving this letter from Paul, I reckon they were experiencing some of that too. I try to imagine what was life like for a Christian in the city of Rome in the first century? What did that mean for them? This is Rome. This is like 
Caesar's palace and his great city in the center of this great empire. And these people have gone, I'm not going to follow Caesar anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus instead. That's costly. They might have lost respect from people. They might have lost business opportunities and income. They might have lost friends. They might even be estranged from family members who've disowned them. They might even be persecuted. There was a lot of that going around. And Paul writes to them a prayer. He prays for them, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful prayer to pray for people who need hope. Because it goes beyond just praying that they'd feel better. Do you notice that? There's this other word hidden in here that we haven't really looked at yet and we're about to. The word is overflow. You see, the reservoir of hope isn't just to quench your thirst when you're feeling dry. It's abundant. It's more hope than you need for this moment. It's enough for you to overflow your hope into the lives of others. You can get enough hope that you can give hope to your brothers and sisters at church. You can give hope to your family and to your friends, to your colleagues at work, to your classmates at school. We are filled by the Spirit to overflowing so that we can be these vessels of hope out in the world. So we're going to kind of pivot now uh, to look at four ways that we can overflow our hope. And they actually come from this chapter. Um, The four things are, our hope is eternal, our hope is shared, our hope is incredible, and our hope is everyone's hope. So we're going to go through those four things, and to do that, we're going to do our Bible reading. We're going to read from Romans 15, not just that one verse, uh, but actually verses 1 to 13. So if you have a Bible... Now's the time. Um, Let's have a little read. Uh, We'll just start off, we'll read verses 1 to 4. They go like this. Romans 15, 1 to 4. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We have an eternal hope. We hope in a future that goes on forever. And that gives us the ability to endure momentary struggles in life. 
And I want to look at one particular kind of struggle, which I think is the one that Paul has in mind in these four verses. He's talking about difficult people. Anyone here a difficult? No, don't put your hand up. Do you know any difficult people? Do you find that you're in those relationships, those friendships with people, or maybe it's a family member, someone who just, you find them a bit draining? They, they take up a lot of your energy, uh, they take up a lot of time, uh, they, they use up a lot of your emotional reserves, and, and you kind of feel exhausted after you spend time with them. Our world says that if you have someone like that in your life, cut them out. Cull them. Get rid of them. That's the world's wisdom. Now, I think there is some wisdom in that. This is controversial, isn't it? (laughs) If your relationship with someone is causing you serious harm, if your relationship with someone is causing you serious harm, then there is a point where it is wise to put in some distance, to put up a boundary, to keep yourself safe and healthy. However, we as God's people shouldn't be too hasty to do that. And the reason for that isn't that, you know, we should be good people, that we should be nice to everyone. The reason is that we actually have a superpower. We have a special advantage that the world doesn't have. Our hope. We have this well of hope to draw upon again and again and again. And that is in the Scriptures. You notice that in verse 4? Uh, Paul kind of starts out talking about bearing with the failings of the weak and not pleasing ourselves and pleasing our neighbor to build them up. And then he kind of pivots and starts saying everything that was written in the past, in the Scriptures, was written to teach us endurance and encouragement. God's story shows us God's character shows us what God is like and what He has done in the past, how He always and always and every time keeps His promises perfectly. And so, He will keep the promises that also are in here. So, if you draw on those promises and you draw on that hope and you dip into that well of hope again, that gives you the ability to change the parameters of that relationship. Not to change the relationship itself necessarily, that person might still be difficult, that person might still be needy, but the way that you feel about it changes. That you don't feel drained by it, because you have hope. A focus on hope focuses on the other person. You start to see them the way God sees them. You start to go, well, they're not just a pain, they're in pain. They're not just difficult to be around, it's difficult for them to be. You start seeing that God has a hope for this person. God wants to heal them, God wants to renew them, 
God wants to change their heart and transform them by the power of His Spirit. And God wants you to be there hoping and praying that over them. That's what it looks like for your hope to overflow for the person who, how does Paul put it? The person who is weak and failing. The person you need to just bear, (laughs) to bear with them. Uh, The person who uh, needs good. The person who needs building up. And just as Christ could have said, you guys are too difficult. You guys are too much of a pain. I'm done with you. He didn't say that, did he? Instead, he said, I love you. And even if you hate me, I'm going to die for you anyway. God has a plan for everyone to redeem, to resurrect, to make us whole and new. And that includes that difficult person who you find draining. That's my challenge. Soak in the hope that God has for you. Be filled by the Holy Spirit and overflow that hope into that relationship. Number two, our hope is shared. Our hope is about love for one another. We'll keep reading Romans 15. We're up to verse 5, aren't we? Uh, I'll read 5 and 6 together here. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to deal with those two verses one at a time. So verse 5 is about our, the attitude of your mind being uh, changed, transformed to be the attitude of the mind of Jesus. And what was the attitude of the mind of Jesus? In a word, it was an attitude of love. We we need to love one another as Christ has loved us. And actually, as we dip into our hope, and as we overflow with our hope, we will find love flowing out. The other thing here is that our hope is shared, that every Christian brother and sister that you have has the same hope as you, or more the point, God has the same hope for them as He has for you. Now, I need to pause on that for just a second, because some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's not quite true, is it? Like, I had that argument with that Christian from that other church down the road the other day about the end times, and he was going on and on about this weird stuff that I don't believe. How do we have the same hope if our story sounds so different? You know, some Christians uh, have a, a story about the future that goes like this, and maybe this is you, Um, they say, I have a hope of heaven. I've been promised by God that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And also, uh, I have this story about this, this second coming of Jesus, the rapture, 
that he's going to come and take all of the Christians, all of his people away to be in heaven with him in this otherworldly perfection, in this paradise that he has prepared for us. Or maybe your, your story of God's future is, uh, kind of goes the other way, uh, that you say, one day Jesus is going to come back, but not to take people away from the earth, but to bring people here, to take all those who've already died who are in heaven and resurrect them along with us and to create a new creation where heaven and earth are united together here in a physical paradise, a new creation. I've been involved in arguments between those two points of view. Uh, For the record, I lean towards the second picture, Um, but the point I'm actually making is to not let these arguments divide us. Our hope does have enough common ground to call it a shared hope. Consider what's in common between those two stories. Jesus is common, isn't he? Jesus is at the center of our hope. Jesus is the one who will make everything good and everything right and everything renewed. He is the one who once and for all will put an end to evil and death and pain and suffering. And even if the the story sounds slightly different, even if the chronology works a different way, we have one hope, and we are therefore one family. Let's love each other. Number three, our hope is incredible. Verse five quickly transitions into verse six. In in the NIV, it's just a comma, part of one sentence, because very quickly, Paul moves from this idea of having this attitude of love for each other and unifying together with that same love into our love for God. May the God, may God give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word glorify just means loving God and, and thinking He's incredible. Sometimes we use the word worship. You see, we as God's people are not just called to get along. We're called to glorify God, to unite our voices in singing to Him, to unite our efforts in working together for Him. Our worship is an overflow of hope. Now, there's two kind of ways that works. The first one is just our unity, that when we are united together, that reflects well on God, that brings God glory. When we work hard together for God, that brings God glory. But there's another level where we choose consciously to make the effort to praise God. When we stand and we sing together, when we bring our voices together in one accord, just like we did this morning, to praise God. God. So you see, there's this kind of interconnection here between our love for each other and our love for God. Or as I know you guys will like to say, 
but you're desperate for God and passionate for people. Those two feed off each other in this kind of loop. That as you pursue God, as you draw closer to Him, you are drawing out of that reservoir of hope and that transforms you. That transforms your mind to make it more like the mind of Christ. And out of that, you can love one another. And as you love each other, you find that overflowing to a love for all humanity, for everyone. And as they experience that love, whether they're Christians or not, they are experiencing God's love through your love. And that draws them in. They get excited, they get inspired to find out more about this God of love. And they pursue God, and they draw close to God, and they fill up on hope. And their minds are transformed, and the cycle repeats. Which leads us to the pinnacle number four. Our hope is everyone's hope. Uh, Let me read the rest of our little reading this morning. So I'm picking it up again in verse 7. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written... Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. I love this. Paul kind of gets carried away here, I think, as he's writing this, that he he quotes these great words from 2 Samuel 22, and then he's like, oh, but also Deuteronomy 32, and Psalm 117, and Isaiah 11. He kind of just spills out of him. He keeps thinking of a better and a better and a better reference to make his point. He just puts them all in. What he's saying is that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish peoples, are joining in the worship of God that used to happen mostly just with the Jewish nation. And for the Romans, this was a big deal, because in their church, they had some Jewish Christians and some Gentile Christians, and they were finding it really hard to get along. Uh, They were trying to figure out, like, what does this mean? Are we equals, or are the Gentiles kind of second class? Or maybe it's the Jews who are second class, and the Gentiles have got it all together, Like, how does this work? How do we do church together when we're so different? And what Paul is saying is, Jesus unites us. Now, I don't know, I don't think this church has the same issue as the Roman church, but there are plenty of things that might divide us, where we might look at someone else and say, well, they're a different type of Christian to me, or, or they're a different kind of person to me they're a different age group, or they're a different ethnicity, or they're a different whatever it might be. And these words can reinforce for us what we've been saying all morning, that our hope unifies us, 
It draws us together. It teaches us to love one another as Jesus loves us. It inspires us to worship the God of hope together. It unites us together no matter what. Our hope is assured by the Scriptures and by the character of God that we see there in the story of God and His people. Our hope is is a well, a reservoir, somewhere we can go back and fill up, but more than that, where we can be filled to overflowing so that we can endure, so that we can bear with one another, so that we can love one another and celebrate in worship together and accept and unite together, despite our differences. Which brings us back to verse 13, where we started, our prayer for this morning. And uh, I want to invite the band to come up, and I want us to spend a bit of time praying, uh, not just these words, but words out of everything we've been speaking this morning. Let's pray. God of hope, Lord, we, we come before you now in need of hope. Lord, we come before you now feeling dry, feeling worn out, feeling uncertain and worried. Lord, we need to know you and to know the promises you've made to us. Uh, We need to be reminded again by your Holy Spirit of who you are, of what you've done, and of what you are going, definitely going to do. Give us more certainty in our hope. Give us more reassurance that we might know what you are doing. And Lord, I pray that as your Spirit fills us, Lord, that we'll be filled to overflowing. Lord, that we might be able to endure, to keep going, even when we feel worn out. That we might be able to bear with one another, to love one another, to worship you together with one voice, to accept and unite together despite all our differences, Lord. May we be a people of hope as you are the God of hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.